0: Okay, um, today's scripture is from Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 1, 2, 3. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is God's word. Good morning church. What a joy and delight for me to be with you all. After many years, I grew up in this church in a way because this church nurtured me, uh, taught me so many things and I'm so thankful for this congregation. In fact, I, I was just remembering that even though I have preached from this pulpit, the last time I stood on this pulpit was when I gave my farewell speech. But I am really thankful to the pastor and the leadership for giving me this opportunity and I thank God for this privilege. Let me share a little bit about my family because I think many of you know me and my family also. My wife Soma is... Uh, Now, we are together serving the Lord. Uh, I am with an organization called Freedom to Lead where we uh, train and equip leaders all around India on Christ-centered leadership. And uh, Soma is also, you know, helping me and with me on this. My daughter, we have only one daughter, Nainika, and she is in the final year of of her graduation. She in the university. She will be passing out this year. Uh, and uh, she has grown to be quite tall. You may not recognize her when you see her. Uh, so hopefully next time when I visit, they will be with me. Thank you so much for uh, giving me this opportunity once again. And, uh, you know, when I was uh, thinking about the... Uh, these Ten ten Commandments, when I was given this assignment, you know, I was thinking about uh, the context of the Ten Commandments. You know, today we live in an AI world, artificially intelligent world. But have you ever wondered that, you know, God created everything which was original and everything that we create is only artificial. So in this AI world, let's try to discover the stone tablets, the originals. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your word is living and life-giving. And Lord, even as we come before your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you will open up our eyes to see the deep truths from your word. Lord, we pray that you will open up our ears to see, uh, to hear your still, small voice. Lord, we pray that you will open up our minds to understand. And Lord, we pray that you will open up our hearts to accept your words and apply them in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the Ten Commandments, which occur three times in the Bible, they are basically... Uh, or literally they mean the ten words. You know, ten words which were given by God to his people on how to live in this world. You know, one night, a uh, family was doing a devotional. When the father asked uh, the son uh, that how many commandments did God give to Moses? And the five-year-old said quickly, too many. You know, sometimes... We also might think like that, that there are too many, and most of them are irrelevant and obsolete in the New Testament age because of grace. They're outdated. We might feel that that they are just a list and set of rules, uh, which do not matter to us anymore. You know, we believe that Christianity is, after all, is all about relationships, it's not about rules, and that's true. Okay, let me ask you a question. Does anyone of you know how many laws are there in India? Can you guess? Too many, yeah exactly, too many laws. You know, while preparing this sermon, I actually tried to find out how many laws are there in India. I tried the Google, I tried the uh, chat GPT, They just couldn't give me the answer. There are too many. You know, most people think that laws bind us. You know, they enslave us. But, church, as we walk through these ten words, I hope that you will not see the bondage, but you will see freedom in these words. In fact, to understand what was happening there, you know, we need to go back to that time We need to understand what was happening in Mount Sinai and look at the context. Moses and the Israelites, they lived in a world where most cultures believed in many gods. There was a pantheon of gods all around them. And when they looked at the, you know, those people, they looked at the powers of the nature and they worshipped them. Like there was the sun god, the earth god, the crop gods and so on and so forth. They knew the truth about God being one, but the sin has suppressed the truth. When God gave these commandments to Israel, you know, they had just come out of Egypt after, you know, hundreds of years of slavery. And those people, they were under oppression, political oppression, social oppression, economic oppression, and in fact in spiritual bondage as well. So, so first, God set them free. And then he gave these commandments. You know, if you look at how, he, uh, how this uh, Exodus chapter 20 starts, he begins by reminding them something. And he says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, Elohim, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That is amazing. You know why because there are two words that you see here the Lord and God you know whenever you look at the Bible you read the Bible try to understand that whenever there's God which is the word which is used in your uh, English Bible it refers to Elohim and whenever you find the word uh, Lord in capitals that is pointing to Yahweh you know Elohim Is a uni plural word which in some sense means a self-covenant keeping God so the covenant that God makes with himself not counting the other party and Yahweh is the self existing one the yesterday the today and tomorrow and amazingly In this verse we find both the words. You know Elohim was used when the creation was taking place and most of the other places. But Yahweh was the name given to Moses when God started revealing himself in a different way to him. Moses asked, what name would I take? And he said, Yahweh. I am who I am. And in this one, we find that he is Using both Elohim and Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery And it's in this context of their freedom that God gives these commandments So basically God is trying to say now that you are free how can you preserve your freedom Now the goal of these commandments was to protect their blessings of freedom when he liberated them out of Egypt You may be thinking, but I still don't see the commands uh, or the logic that how these commands uh, lead us to freedom. You know, that's because we see freedom as the ability to choose for ourselves what is best. But as someone has put it, you know, freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is finding the right restrictions. Let me give you an example. A fish is only free when it's limited to the water. If you want to liberate the fish, or the fish wants to liberate itself, and tries to go out of the water, it'll die. It'll die. You know, the Israelites had left Egypt, and they were on their way to Canaan. And uh, God knew what was going to happen. So He gave them this warning that... You need to be careful. He warned them about the competition that they would find there in the land of Canaan for the loyalty of their hearts. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 16, you will find it is written, Be careful. And this is what the Lord says. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. This was... The world in which the Israelites lived. And this was where God gave the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, even though God had given them uh, other directives and guidelines before this, they were mostly governed by their own conscience. The first time here, we see that God is giving a set of laws. You know, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 13, that to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. But then, again, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we read, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So law was given so that we will know where we fall short. Keeping the law is not going to make us righteous, but the law is basically a pointer to us, telling us what, where we go wrong. You know, that reminds me of a boy who came home from his Sunday school class. And when his dad asked what he learned, he excitedly said, You know, it was great, Dad, we learned all about the ten commandos. But, friends, he was so right. You know, God's commandos keep us safe and secure. You know, even though the law reveals the righteousness of God, it cannot produce the righteousness. our hearts it reveals the righteousness of God but it cannot produce righteousness in our hearts commandments don't give us life but they certainly guide life you know therefore even for the Israelites the law came after the good news of deliverance God didn't come to the people as slaves while they were slaves and and told them you know I am giving you the Ten Commandments. I want you to keep these Ten Commandments. Okay, I'll come back after five years and I'll see how you're doing. And if you do well, I will set you free from Egypt. No. First, he set them free and then he gave them the laws. Sadly, you know, many of us view Christianity like that. God has rules. And if I follow the rules, God will love me and he will save me. But that's not what happened in the story of Exodus. The Israelites were an oppressed people. And God said, I hear your cry. I will come down. I will save you because I love you. And when you are saved, when you are free and you are forgiven, I am going to give you a new way to live. You know, friends, this morning let me affirm this. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. Salvation is the reason for obedience. Salvation is not the reward for obedience. It is the reason for obedience. Jesus did not say, if you obey me and uh, if you obey my commandments or you obey me, I will love you. Instead, he first washed. The feet of the disciples. You now, while we were celebrating the Lord's table, my mind was going back. What did Jesus do before that? You know, before they all partook in that table, he washed the feet of the disciples. And you know what he said after that? If you love me, you you will keep my commands you will keep my commandments. So our response should only be because of what he has done for us. You know, I was asking one of my friends who has some idea of Formula One car racing. You know, out of curiosity, I asked him, uh, how does the person who is in the lead know uh, what is happening behind him? Does these cars have rear view mirrors? You know, my friend laughed out loud and said, you know, there are rear view cameras, but it doesn't matter for the one who is in the lead because it really does not matter what is happening behind him. He is only looking at the front and on the finishing line and he has to drive uh, as fast as he can. You know, friends, if we keep the first commandment to put God first, it does not matter what is happening behind us. We need to focus on the finish line as we drive hard to know God in all His glory. You know, in this AI world today, let's get back to the stone tablets. Let's try to understand what God was telling us the first time that He gave laws to this humanity. And that's the first thing that I want to share with you. What does the first commandment reveal about God? So, let me read out the uh, verses first. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You know, here we see that God is exclusive. There cannot be any other God to take our attention. You know, the word before can mean over and against. Nothing can be over him, nothing can be against him. God is saying that no one else is like him and he is the only one who is worthy of our attention and praise. And we also see that God is the redeemer and deliverer of Israel. Therefore, this command is given in the context of the 10 plagues. You know, if you go back and look at the 10 plagues, you will uh, see that God was the one who was With them. It was was so much more than just putting some pressure on Pharaoh to take God seriously. Because each of them was symbolic defeat of the Egyptian deity. Osiris, whose bloodstream was believed to be the Nile. Yahweh turned the Nile into blood. Heket was the frog goddess of birth and they regarded the frogs as sacred And they cannot kill them. Yahweh killed them in thousands. Egyptians, god of governing uh, fertility, crops, livestock and health, all become powerless before the outstretched arm of Yahweh. And in the ninth plague of darkness, Yahweh demonstrated his power over the sun god Ra. And Pharaoh was the one who was representing the sun god as the king. And in the final plague, the death of the firstborn, God showed himself supreme over all the Egyptian gods by demonstrating his power over life and death. One God conquering everything, everything, conquering all. So the message to the Israelites at the foot of the Mount Sinai was clear. Before you can obey me as the God of the 10 words of life, you must rever me as the God of the 10 plagues of death. And the required response was obvious too. If the God who decimated all rivals in Egypt, if he, has, he is the one who has brought you out of Egypt, the only logical response should be, you shall have no other gods before me. He saved them, he rescued them, he delivered them and now he has a claim over them. He's saying to them, why would you trust any other so-called God? I am the Yahweh for you. Why do you not trust me? You didn't escape Egypt because of some kindness of Pharaoh. It is because I rescued you. There is no other God. Let's look at the second one. What does this command reveal about us? You know, Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other beside me. Uh, There is no other. Beside me there is no God. You know why Israel should not worship any other gods? Because there is no other God. Israel had to first reject the idea that there were multiple gods. In fact, this is how it has been from the creation. But... They forgot it pretty quickly. It seems that between the exile in Paddan Aram and his return to Bethel, Jacob and his family had picked up a few household idols in the saddlebags. We have read this story, we know this story. You know, Jacob took these idols in, uh, you know, Jacob's family, they took their idols in the saddlebags. And the presence of idols among Jacob's family points to the operation of a both-and mentality. I mean, we'll have Yahweh, but at the same time, we'll also have these other gods. It is said that when Voltaire, the atheist, was on his deathbed, a pastor came to him and said, Sir, renounce the devil. You have been an atheist all your life renounce the devil and you will go to heaven Voltaire thought for a moment and said well I am not so sure about this but this is certainly not the time to make new enemies you know friends we still find this attitude in believers today just as it was in Jacob's family thousands of years ago James chapter 1 verse 8 says that this is double mindedness Double-mindedness is is not replacing God altogether. Double-mindedness is taking on another idol in our life. It's not that Israelites stopped worshipping the Lord altogether. They took on some other idols. And this is what both and arrangement is. I need God. I also need a house. I need God. I need a good job. I need God. I need obedient children. I need God. I need a fat bank account. We may think, yes, I totally love Jesus. But in reality, we offer only some of our worship to the Lord, thinking that it is okay. But this command says, it is not okay. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. A half-hearted effort is fine and that is all that we need. That's what we may think. But Jesus shows us that dual allegiance is not possible. We are created and designed for single-minded allegiance. We are made in the image of one God to bear the image of one God. We cannot conform to both the image of God and the image of any other idol in our lives. You know, a financial crisis can teach us about our worship of money and comfort in addition to God. A wayward child or a divorce can teach us about our worship of having a perfect family in addition to God. The aging process can teach us about our worship of health and the beauty in addition to God. It was at just such a crisis point that we find Jacob was ready to throw away the idols. He was facing his own failures. His daughter was violated. His sons responded with vengeance. And he failed to seek justice. Jacob was a broken man. He was the result of his own. He was the product of his own cunning. He reaped the consequences. He was a man who was not unfamiliar with crisis, but he was now learning to plead allegiance to God. Friends, even though instability and crisis may be needed to bring us to repentance, we need to look at the story of Jacob. You know, you can go back and read it in chapter 35. It says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods and they had uh, all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Seshem. You know, Jacob could have burned them, could have thrown them or could have just cut them into pieces. Instead, he buried them under a landmark tree. Because that was the place of worship. He was determined to put the past behind him. He symbolically held a funeral for all the idols that were there in his household. Do not miss the moral of the story. To rid ourselves of our idols, we must put them to death. You know, the story is told of uh, Handley Page, a pioneer in the aviation industry who once landed in an isolated area during his travels. And unknown to him, a rat got aboard the plane and there on the next leg of the flight, Page heard the sickening sound of gnawing, you know, biting. His heart began to pound because he understood what was happening. And he knew the serious damage it could do to the airplane. And he would would just crash. In that desperate situation, he remembered hearing from someone that rats cannot live in very high altitude. So he took the airplane higher and higher. It became so difficult for him to breathe even. But he was listening intently. And then he found out that the gnawing had stopped. He heaved a sigh of relief. And when he landed uh, in, at, at his destination, he found that there was a dead rat uh, behind the cockpit. You know, friends, oftentimes we are plagued by sin that gnaws at our life simply because we are cruising at the altitude of indifference. To overcome sin and idolatry in our lives, we need to move up, away from the world to a higher level where the things of the world cannot survive. Prone to wander, Lord I feel it. Prone to live, leave, the God I love. How profoundly this hymn lyric reveals our heart That is prone to wander. And this brings us to the third point very quickly. How does it point to Jesus? You know Jesus made it very clear. In the sermon on the mount. That the scope of the commandments go beyond our actions. He says. If you look at a woman lustfully. You have already committed adultery. Whereas in the law it was written. Do not commit adultery. Similarly, if you, you know, use abusive words against your brother, you have committed murder. And if you are worshipping money, you cannot worship God. The first commandment. You know what he said? to search out the thoughts and intents of our heart. Each commandment identifies a particular sin. We can think of the first commandment in relationship to Christ as a tale of two mountains. You know, God came down to to Mount Sinai and then he said, worship me alone. That's the first commandment he gave. And then thousands of years later, he came down again on the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know what he said? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, don't miss it, guys. You know, it's amazing that God, the same God who said, Worship me and listen to my rules, now is coming back and saying, Listen to my son, listen to him. On the other side of incarnation, the first commandment is to give Christ the worship that he deserves. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You know, Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And if you had known me, you would obey my commandments. Friends, if we don't know God in Christ, then we really don't know God. We can't obey the first commandment If we don't worship the one who alone shows us who true God is you know friends the coming of Christ has changed everything and we are able to see how this command shows who God is and it really reveals our divided heart and it brings us to the feet of Jesus so let's ask finally the fourth and the last point that I'm going to share with you. How does it show us to the path of life? You know, when Exodus chapter, three, uh, chapter 20 verse 3 says, No other gods before me, it could mean none other but me, or it could mean no other gods before my face. But either way, I think that marriage is a very good analogy for the first commandment. You know, in marriage you cannot have a both and relationship. At least not for very long. Suppose a husband comes home and says, Honey, it's so good to see you. You know, I want to introduce you to someone who is very special to me. Don't get me wrong. You are also very special to me. But I have met someone else. She's lovely and I'm going to spend some time with her. But also I'm going to spend some time with you. I think... You two also will get along very nicely. You'll be great, great friends. You both mean so much to me. What should the wife say? That's great. I'm honored that I can still be a part of your life. Is that what she will say? No. She would say, it's me or her. Make up your mind. This is serious, guys. And if the wife says that with anger, we would perfectly understand that. But if she does not say anything, there must be a problem. We would never say that she was she was proud, intolerant, and unfair, cruel. No. She's perfectly justified in what she said. There cannot be either or, both and relationship. Our relationship with God is like that. Love is at the very heart of the first commandment. If we truly love God, we will love no one or nothing else. That's why the Shema... You know, the daily prayer of the Israelites found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 was so foundational for them. It says Hear O Israel, the Lord our God the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I think it was read today. Love is a decision. Love is a choice. The Shema Called God's people to choose the Lord as God and Him alone. We choose God because He first chose us. There cannot be both and relationship. We have to choose God. We need to love and worship Him above all because He alone is God and He pursued us even when we were in sin through Jesus Christ. You know, a key indicator for us that we are violating this command is when we are not excited about God or when we have a neutral heart or when we are attending church or reading the Bible and just going through the motions mechanically, as a routine. It's not really penetrating our heart. We are not excited about God anymore. But we can know that we are walking the path of life when we can say that I am more excited for God today than I have ever been in my life. My today is better than yesterday about God. You know friends, we live in a broken world. But we are waiting for that new city. Whose, wall, whose walls would be built of jasper. I am reading from Revelation chapter, four, chapter 21. ...whose walls would be built of jasper, while the city will be of pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city will be adorned with every kind of jewel. And the city will have no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God will give it light and its lamp will be the lamp. You know, John's description of this new Jerusalem is meant to tell us something more. You know, all these things that we find there, like gold, precious stones, the stars, the rulers, crowns, these are what the humanity has been worshipping right from the beginning. The dual allegiance. But the idols of this world, the precious things of this world, will be a part of the new Jerusalem and it will be shown their true place. It will have no meaning. It will be a place where the people, the objects and the institutions or the positions which we have worshipped till now in our heart they will not be getting the lofty places there. It will be a place whose people will at last obey the first word. You shall have no other gods before me. That is where we are leading to you shall have no other gods before me, you know in Matthew chapter six verse ten, Jesus, who kept the first word in every way, taught his followers to pray that god's kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. You know, friends, why wait until the next life until you know that time when we will enter there to esteem and honor what God esteems and honors or counts as worthless and what God counts as worthy. Why wait till that point? Why not honor and esteem what God honors and esteems in this life? Today is the day to throw away the idols in our life. The idols of power, the idols of position, the idols of wealth, the idols of security, and the idols of comfort, or any other. I just put a blank there. You can put in the idol that you have in your life. Today is the day to decide decide whom you will serve. Church, let's worship him with our undivided allegiance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word which is clear. That there cannot be an and in both relationship with you. Lord, there cannot be a dual allegiance. Everything that is binding us today. That we give importance. The power of the position, the wealth, security, comfort. Our family, our children, our relationships. Anything. That we have as a dual allegiance. Lord take it out from our lives. Lord help us to point out. Which idol do I have in my life. That I am tempted to worship alongside God. And have this dual allegiance. Lord help us to be excited about you. More than ever. Lord help us always to remain faithful, and truthful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Loving God, loving people. That's their service.